She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 21. Zero Sum. Speaking of Zero Sum. So, we just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. We'll mention this periodically, but not all the time. If you want to support the podcast and support us making it, obviously we both work full time. This is a fun hobby for us. We really enjoy doing it. Talking to Nick is always really fun for me. Like I just, I'm really glad we became friends because of this podcast because I feel like it's just always a good time. So I super enjoy talking to you and I enjoy doing the podcast and I I enjoy all the weird stuff we do that's not X-Files, you know, like that we've branched out a little. I think it's really fun. But It is a lot of work. Nick spends a lot of hours editing. We both spend a lot of hours writing recaps and notes and looking stuff up and doing research. And obviously, we spend huge chunks of our weekend recording the podcast. So if you want to support that, that would be awesome. It goes a really long way. If you just want to listen to us and tell your friends, I mean, that is also incredible support and we really appreciate it. And everyone who comments and leaves reviews and all that stuff, that is amazing support. But if for some reason you feel like financially supporting us, there are several ways you can do that. You can now buy us a coffee on, you know, the Kofi site. So that is like $3, choose your own, or you can make it like a monthly subscription. So that's up to you. We also have a commission thing, which I don't know much about. Nick invented the system, but it sounds interesting. So if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and check that out. You can support us on Patreon. It's $2 a month, $5 a month, or choose your own monthly subscription. Again, you're not getting any bonus content anymore. We're just throwing all of it in the main feed. But if you feel like supporting us, you can always do it there. Or you can go to IWTRW.com or IWantToRewatch.com, which redirect to our podcast page. And there is a support button there for $0.99 or $4.99 a month. Again, there's no bonus content. It's all the same. But if you feel like throwing us a couple bucks, we would not say no. We also sell merch on Spring. It used to be Teespring and TeePublic. So if you're interested in some of the cool t-shirts Nick's designed, I mean, there are some really cool ones on there. There's the safety lights are for dudes from the Ghostbusters. Um, We have like our Fluke Man shirt. It's just a Fluke Man. There's just some fun ones. So if you want some cool merch, that is another way to support us. And we have a Linktree tip jar, which if you go to our Linktree, it also has links to all the things we just mentioned. And the link to that will be in the show notes. So you can always just click on that and it will take you to all these ways that if you for some reason win the lottery and want to throw us a couple hundred dollars or just buy us a coffee and, you know, throw us five bucks, that is how you can do it. So we appreciate it. But again, we also just appreciate you listening and being patient with us as we put out episodes at whatever pace we're able to put them out based on our schedules and mental health and illnesses and work-life balance or whatever it is. So we really do appreciate you just listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends, feel free to share it on social media talk to us on Instagram, talk to us on Twitter. If you still use Twitter, no one seems to use Twitter anymore. But if you do, we're still posting there occasionally. And yeah, we just appreciate you. That is really the best support you can give us. But if you want to throw us a couple bucks, you have those options too. Also, it always helps to rate the podcast on whatever platform you listen, whether that's Spotify or Apple, or if your podcast player allows you to rate it. 
And you can write a review too. But again, Nick's notes here are only if you like it. Because I guess <laughs> we don't really need reviews to talk about how much we suck. We already have plenty of those thoughts running through our heads unbidden. So you don't really need to add to that. But if you did want to say something nice, we always appreciate that too. Yeah. Also, if you want to talk shit about me, that's fine. You totally can talk shit about me. I get it. I'm not for everybody. But like, I have a name. You hear it at the beginning of your episode. Like, you could, if you mention Tori's name, don't call me the male co-host. Like, <laughs> use my name. Like, I'm sorry if having a Y chromosome pisses you off, but like, I have a name. I'm a person. So, still, thank you for giving us five stars and for liking Cold Check, but I do have a name. Thank you. So, <laughs> I don't even read the reviews. They <laughs> read them. I don't do it. Um, I mean, I, I will, but uh, yeah, they generally don't. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. But it does help, and we appreciate it. And thank you. For all your support, whether that's just listening all the time, telling your friends, or whatever it is, we really do appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, back to the script. Woohoo! This episode is a MythArc episode and originally aired on Sunday, April 27th, 1997 at 9 p.m. In it, bees. So many bees. I hope you like bees because there's like a lot of bees in this episode. Just bees everywhere. Heard you like bees, so you put some bees in your bees. Lots of bees. None of your beeswax. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Howard Gordon and Frank Spotnitz and directed by Kim Manners. And I think this is Howard Gordon's last episode. Oh. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, we're at the Transcontinental Express Routing Center, Routing Center, however you want to say it, in Desmond, Virginia. Two women, Jane and Misty, are working, scanning envelopes and packages. Jane asks Misty to cover for it while she takes another cigarette break. Misty argues she just had one 15 minutes ago. She should get a patch or some gum. Jane shows her the nicotine gum in her mouth and goes off for her break. In the bathroom, another woman is washing her hands. Jane goes into a stall and waits for her to leave before lighting a cigarette and opening a magazine. Unbeknownst to Jane, bees start coming in through the little holes in the sink. Soon, the bathroom is full of bees all over the floor and the counter, and there's a big swarm of them like attached to the door of Jane's stall. Finally, she lowers her magazine to extinguish her cigarette and notices the bees, and she's like, ah, and she drops her cigarette, and she tries to open the stall door, but the lock is also covered in bees. She manages to hit it, but in doing so, angers the bees, and they swarm her and sting her repeatedly. Misty finally decides to go check on Jane, because Jane's been gone for quite some time, mm -hmm. and she doesn't want her to get in trouble. So she's not mad at her. She doesn't want her to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. The bathroom is empty and devoid of bees, but while she's looking under the stalls, she sees a cigarette. And so she opens the door and finds Jane's body covered in stuff. Welts. Big yeah. Yeah. And then we see a photo of Jane's beasting covered body on a computer screen. And we see that Skinner is working at the computer and he deletes the file. Then the oh. camera zooms out and we realize he's in the X-Files office at Mulder's desk. File deleted. And he gets up and he leaves. <gasps> X-Files, the theme song. This is the theme song to the X-Files. Whistle, whistle, whistle. <laughs> this is out there. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So then we see Skinner is packing a black bag and he heads out of his apartment, leaving his phone off the hook. 
At the Transcontinental Express Routing Center, he pulls the do not enter tape from the coroner's office off the lady's restroom door. And he looks around the bathroom with a flashlight and we see him flush Jane's cigarette butt. And then he vacuums up the ash and he scrubs the area clean. While cleaning the mirror, he takes a good long look at himself. But then he notices this weird yellow gelatinous substance that's near the ceiling. So he like gets up and he cleans that too. And then he leaves the bathroom. Yeah, when he was scrubbing the floor, I'm like, that's going to be more noticeable than you just vacuuming it. But then I think he cleaned the entire bathroom. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, Because he was all sweaty and everything. I think he cleaned the whole bathroom. Mm -hmm. So, damn. Yeah, Yeah, he does a good job. Yeah. If he wants to come clean my apartment, I mean, Mitch Pelegi, give me a call. (laughs) I mean, if he wants to come clean my apartment, too, I would not complain. So, (laughs) anyway. If anyone wants to clean my apartment, really. Just hit me up. No, I'm kidding. I just I'm really busy yeah. right now. And it just there's like a lot of dishes I need to do. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all trying to make it sexy time and you're like, I just got a lot of dishes. I <laughs> no, I just <laughs> <laughs> I just have a pile of laundry and I you know, I gotta clean the cat box and just oh I gotta go get cat litter. Anyway, I'm just need an assistant. But yeah, I'm just like, I guess, yeah, I'll watch Mitch Pluggy back over scrubbing my floor. I guess mm-hmm. he can take his shirt off while he does it and we can complain <laughs> about that. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's yeah. some actual work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so then we're at the Audrey County morgue and it's 12:22 a.m. Skinner finds the drawer labeled Brody Jane L. He opens the drawer and reveals her welt-covered beast on corpse. Mm-hmm. And we see that a nurse hears a noise coming from the morgue. And then we're back to Skinner, and he's moving Jane's body onto a gurney. The nurse gets the morgue open and looks around, doesn't see anything. And then he turns on the light and kind of does another check, you know, okay, nothing looks weird here, and he leaps. And we see that Skinner was hiding in a little nook side room that's, I guess, in the morgue that the guy didn't bother to check, and he's got Jane's body in a bag. Mm. Skinner then takes Jane's body to some kind of industrial building. He takes her up an elevator and then he hauls her up some stairs and then there's an incinerator and he shoves her body inside. Wow. And my note here is just Skinner sabotage. Yeah. Very similar to how Peter Parker disposed of his clone back in the original. Mm. I mean, incinerators are good for getting rid of bodies. Yeah. So one, we don't know what's going on. This could be an alien assassin disguised as Skinner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I am concerned because if that is Skinner, like, we know what's going on. We unfortunately saw here in Volk. Those aren't, like, sting. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Those aren't bee sting blisters. Those are smallpox pustules that we saw. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like, is we know it's a mutation, right? Because usually bees don't carry smallpox. But I'm like. Can people catch this from just being, like, exposed to bodies and stuff? Because a lot of people are going to be exposed to stung bodies in this episode, Mm -hmm. Skinner included. And I'm like, is anybody else going to catch smallpox? I'm guessing, one, either they didn't think about that and don't care. Or, you know, you could argue it away. It's like, oh, it's only a special variant can only be distributed through Mm -hmm. smallpox bees. So, yeah, I don't know. But it's one of my thoughts because he's like, I mean, he's wearing gloves and stuff. But then later, like, people are going to be around bodies and they don't have a lot of PPE on. So mm-hmm. it's like, mm, yeah, smallpox dudes. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. 
So then we are a police forensic lab in Desmond, Virginia, and it's 2.35 a.m. An officer tells Skinner they have the pathology work, but the techs haven't gone over the crime scene yet. Skinner wants to see what they have and identifies himself as Fox Mulder, complete with a fake FBI badge. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've upped the level a little bit here. The officer makes Skinner sign, and then he gives him a small plastic tub of James forensic material. And then while the author's back is turned, Skinner swaps the blood sample for the one he brought with him and wipes his fingerprints off the pen. As he's leaving, a detective comes running out of the building calling for Mulder, and Skinner stops. He is Detective Ray Thomas. He's the one who emailed Mulder the photo of Jane's body. Thomas asks if he found anything worth investigating, but Skinner tells him no. Thomas asks if he can explain what happened to Jane Brony. She walks into a bathroom and then, well, he saw the pictures. He was told that Mulder works for something called the X-Files, and he looks into this kind of stuff. And he's like, why come all the way down here in the middle of the night if there's nothing to see? And Skinner's like, man, I'm just doing my job. And Skinner gets in his car and he drives away. <laughs> and as he does, he drives past another car where we see a man sitting and watching. And keen-eyed viewers may recognize this man as the assassin we've come to know as the gray-haired man who has appeared in Piper Maru, Avatar, Heron Volk, and Memento Mori. Mm-hmm. Zero Sum, however, will be his last appearance. Hmm. Oh. So it seems like this actually must be Skinner, because if it was an alien assassin, he probably would have, like, morphed into Mulder. Yeah, exactly. Or wouldn't be shift. concerned about the fingerprint business. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. So back at his place, Skinner puts the clothes he wore in a trash bag, and he stands on his stairs in his undies before putting on fresh clothes. Beefcake! Woo! Beef. Yeah, a little bit of fan service there. So huh. then he... <laughs> so then he opens the door to take up the trash and he finds Mulder at his door. Mulder's been trying to reach him and thinks his phone is off the hook. And Skinner's just like, oh, yeah, I needed some sleep. Mulder notices the trash bag he's holding and he's like, is that why you're taking out the garbage at 4 a.m.? Skinner asks what he wants. Mulder wants answers. And there's got to be some fanfic where Skinner did not put on fresh clothes and still in his <laughs> underwear when he answers the door. <laughs> But yes. or he gets back <laughs> to that state very quickly in a different way. <laughs> but in this episode, unfortunately, that is not what happens. Mulder walks into Skinner's apartment and Skinner shuts the door. And Mulder says he was sent emails by a detective who thought he might have a fresh take on a case of a dead postal worker. But when he went to retrieve them, the files had been deleted. Skinner's like, well, where did you get the photos then? Because Mulder has pictures and has seen the pictures. Mm-hmm. And Mulder says from the detective's partner when he questioned him about the detective's death. Skinner looks surprised because obviously the detective was not dead mere hours ago. And he asks what he's talking about. Mulder says Detective Thomas was shot execution style and his body was found near the precinct two hours ago possibly by the same person who forged Mulder's name to get access to the forensic files. Mm. So Skinner's like, okay, well, what do you want from me? Mulder says he wants his help. Skinner's like, well, what about Scully? But Mulder tells him she's in the hospital. She's undergoing some imaging tests. Her oncologist is concerned her tumor might be metastasizing. Mulder wants him to take a look at the photos, and he offers to dump Skinner's trash on the way out the door, but Skinner won't let him. He says he's got it. 
After Mulder leaves, Skinner sighs and closes his eyes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Escalation. I know, right? Skinner heads down to his parking garage. A car drives up, almost hitting him, and he smashes his fists into the hood. Well, he doesn't really do that. He just kind of, like, puts his fist down. But it's almost like he stops the car like he's the Hulk or something. It's kind of cool. Anyway, the cigarette-smoking man gets out. Skinner grabs him and accuses him of murdering the detective. The cigarette-smoking man says he should keep it down if he doesn't want his neighbors to hear. Skinner lets him go but says he won't be party to murder. The cigarette-smoking man says it only happened because he left the job unfinished. Skinner says he followed his instructions, but the cigarette-smoking man says he failed to neutralize a potentially compromising situation. Skinner says he didn't have to kill the detective, but the cigarette-smoking man says he's in no position to question the terms of their arrangement. Skinner's like, fine, then we have no arrangement. He starts to walk away. But then the cigarette-smoking man tells him it's not that easy to walk away. A man digs a hole. He risks falling into it. Skinner looks from the cigarette-smoking man to the gray-haired man who's still in the driver's seat of the car. Then he walks away, and the cigarette-smoking man takes a big old long drag on his cigarette, and then he drops it on the pavement and grinds it out with his shoe. Then it's commercial. Oh. So Skinner is working with the cigarette-smoking man. Mm-hmm. But he's not happy about it. Well, remember in, was it Memento Mori? Was mm-hmm. it Memento Mori? Where he, like, agreed to, like, work for him to help Scully? Yeah, I don't remember what episode that was, but yeah, he did make that offer. So, yeah, because he told Mulder not to, and then he did it instead. And then he did. Yep. Mm -hmm. He's trying to protect Mulder. He's going to take the heat for himself. Mm -hmm. So. So Skinner is asleep on his couch when the phone rings. It's Mulder telling him that Jane's body is gone, stolen from the morgue. Mulder says the man who impersonated him also replaced a blood sample. Skinner's like, how do you know that? Mulder says that Jane suffered from a mild form of anemia characterized by a folic acid deficiency. The sample on file had a normal folate serum level. Skinner looks frustrated, and he asks if there are any suspects. And of course he's frustrated, because the idiots who gave him the instructions didn't bother to know that her blood was different and this would be detected. But anyway. Skinner asks if there are any suspects, and Mulder says no, but he has a start. Ballistics identified the weapon used to kill Thomas as a Sig Sauer P228. Ooh. Or possibly P220. I don't know how you say gun numbers, but yeah, whatever Sig Sauer P228. Okay, P228. Skinner looks very unhappy to hear that and walks across the room where he sees that the drawer of his desk has been pried open and his gun is missing. So um, I'm guessing that that matches the description of his gun. Not good. Mulder says he's having ballistics run comps on all weapons issued to federal agents. When Skinner is quiet, Mulder's like, sir? And Skinner's just like, let me know what they find. And then he hangs up and he throws down his empty holster. So Skinner calls the cigarette smoking man and is like, you can't do this. And the cigarette smoking man is like, you sound agitated. And Skinner asks if it was his gun used to kill Thomas. And the cigarette smoking man is like, if your gun is missing, you should report it to the police immediately. And Skinner says he will. But then the cigarette smoking man says, well, if you're going to do that, why are you calling me? Perhaps because you realize that if you report it, you'll be admitting to the obstruction of justice and criminal conspiracy. Skinner asks what he had him cover up. And the cigarette smoking man says, under the circumstances, the less he knows, the better. 
Skinner says he needs to know what that man died for. And the cigarette smoking man says he died for Skinner so that he can have what he wants, a cure for Scully. Skinner tells him that Scully is in the hospital, and if he can do anything for her, he wants it done now. And the cigarette smoking man is like, I'm well aware of Agent Scully's status. And Skinner says if anything happens to Agent Scully, he'll expose him. He'll turn state's evidence. And he doesn't care what happens to himself. And the cigarette smoking man says that Agent Scully stands to live a long and healthy life, and he would hope the same for Skinner. And then he hangs up. Ooh. Ooh. That cigarette smoking man is a smooth operator. He is. He is. He's he's a rat bastard, but he's a smooth <laughs> operator. I love him. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. So then it's nine fourteen a.m. back at the sorting facility. Skinner is walking with the manager, and Misty sees them go into the restrooms. The manager tells Skinner that the police said they could use the bathroom again, but no one wants to after what happened, <laughs> which. Same. Like, if that happened to someone, I would not want to go into that bathroom either. Skinner studies the seam near the ceiling where he saw the yellow ooze, and he notices there's more of it there. He asks for a hammer, and then he breaks open the wall, and he finds honeycomb behind it. Because it was honey oozing through the wall. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Honeycomb. Big, big, big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. (laughs) No, no, no. Not that kind of honeycomb. You know no, and I, I haven't had honeycomb cereal in literal years, but I don't remember it being a good cereal, honestly. It was okay. I feel like it was one of those. There's just a couple that just tasted kind of like sweetened corn, and I feel like that's one of those where I was like, eh. I mean, it's not like Kicks. Kicks is nasty. That's ugh, oh, I like Kicks. I always but liked Kicks. You like Kicks? Yeah. Well, Man. when I was really young, we weren't allowed to have sugared cereals. My mom gave up on oh, that after a while. But um, my mom gave yeah, up because she was a single gotcha. mom with three annoying children who, you know, whatever, give them cocoa puffs. No one cares. But um, yeah, so it's like Kicks was like sweeter than Cheerios. <laughs> it's like if you had Cheerios okay. or Kicks, it was the better option. Now, I am a bit of a cereal snob. So I only like like 1970s Count Chocula and Cocoa Puffs because like after that, they decided to go too chocolatey, and it just mm-hmm. ruined the flavor. Like kept up. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Well, now, like I, occasionally buy cereal. I don't eat a ton of it, and like usually when I do, I buy like the Kashi like stuffed wheat, whole wheat, whatever they are, with like the fruit filling. I don't even know. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's good. I did buy the mini tricks. Those were good. It was just like little oh. tiny dots of tricks. Those were kind of good but like they have like weird cereals now it's like they have cinnabon cereal and they have like dunkin donuts yeah it's all branded shit yeah it's just weird like i don't know it's not just like cookie crisp it's like they have i mean not the like cocoa puffs and sugar smacks aren't branded cereals too right but yeah like now it's all like this is your favorite dessert but now is a cereal and i just find that really odd yeah I'm sorry, the best cereal ever made was Bill and Ted's Excellent Cereal, and I will die on that hill. Yeah. It was like Lucky Charms with cinnamon. It was fucking amazing anyway. Mm. Yeah. I think we've talked about that before. I know I know I've talked about it. I don't know if it was with <laughs> you, but yeah. I will talk about it. Anytime I get the chance to talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Cereal, I will talk about Bill and Ted's Excellent Cereal. <laughs> best fucking cereal ever. Anyway. So then we're at Elsinore, Maryland, and it's 1.15 p.m., And we see Skinner is at a private residence, and the man who lives there, Dr. Veldespino, opens the door to his makeshift home lab and asks Skinner why he's not running it through the FBI lab. 
Skinner tells him that this is classified and he's worried about bureau security. He's given Valdespino a sample of the honeycomb and asks if he can tell what kind of bees made it. He says it's hard to tell with just the comb, but maybe. Skinner asks if it's helpful to know that the bees may be lethal. Valdespino says that any kind of bee can be lethal if there are enough of them. Even so-called killer bees have the same venom as European bees. They just tend to attack in swarms. <gasps> and you can learn all about killer bees in our In Search of episode of the same name, because they covered killer bees and so did we in season one. Mm-hmm. Valdespino finds royal jelly in the sample and tells Skinner that he may be in luck. He shows Skinner a very young larva of a bee under a magnifying glass. Once the larvae pupate, he should be able to give Skinner some answers. He asks Skinner if this is related to that other case. And Skinner's like, what other case? Valdespino says, you know, about six months ago, another agent called about killer bees. His name was Fox Mulder. And Skinner quickly says, there's no connection. (laughs) Not suspicious at all. Valdespino says he'll call him when he has information and Skinner leaves. It is weird that he was asking Skinner, like, why it wasn't run through FBI labs. And then Skinner had to tell him why, when he obviously has dealt with an FBI agent previously. That was, yeah, yeah that's I, just, true. I, just re- I just realized that. I didn't realize that during the episode, but just now I just realized that. So, Also, I would think you would be able to tell the type of bee from the larvae, but maybe it's just easier after pupation. So, yeah, I don't know enough do about as much bee work. biology, so I don't know. Yeah, me neither. So, yeah. But you can learn all you want to know by listening to our In Search of episode on Killer Bees, which would think that we would then know because we did the episode, but we don't because we don't remember anything. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember at all, but I know we talked about <laughs> it, so it's probably in there. Yeah. Later, Skinner is searching through the X-Files and finds a file about the clone kids and the bees from Heronvolk. And he also sees Marita Kubarubius' name. And so he looks her up in Mulder's Rolodex and starts to copy down her info. But then Mulder appears in the doorway and asks if Skinner is looking for him. Skinner lies and says that he was just leaving Mulder a note. <laughs> and then he crumples up the paper and puts it in his pocket as he stands up. Smooth. Very smooth. Yeah. Very smooth. Yeah. Mulder says that he was at the First Nations Bank of Virginia. It's adjacent to the police headquarters where the Mulder imposter switched the blood sample. He has grainy footage from their security camera of Detective Thomas talking to Agent Mulder in a baseball cap. Skinner is like... Can you get a usable image off it? And Mulder says he's going to hand deliver it to Special Photo and have them give it a try. And then he asks what Skinner wanted. And Skinner says, oh, I was just checking on your progress. But Mulder doesn't look convinced. Because why would he be leaving a note about that? I don't know. Yeah. So then Skinner calls Cobra Rubius and he introduces himself and says that he understands Mulder was in contact with her regarding a Canadian agricultural project involving bees. And she's like, yes, but I was unable to help him as there was no evidence. Skinner's like, evidence of what? And she says, of beehives or bee husbandry. Skinner says, what if I told you I have access to that evidence? And she asks if he has access to those bees. And he says he might soon. And she looks concerned when he says that. <laughs> yeah, she's so. not like happy about it. Mm-mm. At Valdespino's, he goes into his lab and he tries to turn on the light, but it, it doesn't seem to work. Like the room stays dark. And then we see that bees have covered the light. So like they're just covering the light so thickly that no light is getting through. But he doesn't see that. 
he turns on his little desk lamp to check on the larvae and he sees none. So he turns the light toward the window and sees that bees have swarmed all over it. And then they attack and they swarm him. <gasps> Not good. And there's a commercial. No, he's dead. Also, that's a lot of bees to come from that tiny amount of larvae, right? Like, yeah, I don't know if they were like, hey, help me. And like they all showed up or what? Because like there was one larvae. That he right. Had. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's unclear where all the bees know. came from. Yeah. They must have like, sh- uh, yeah, I don't know. Plot hole. <laughs> Skinner arrives at the morgue. Mulder says he has a break, maybe even a lead. He pulls the sheet off the body of Dr. Valdespino, which is covered in bumps and blisters or welts or smallpox pustules. Smallpox pustules. Exactly like the photos of Jane's body. Mulder says, according to the coroner, they're symptoms of a particular virulent strain of smallpox. The first case in over seven years. Skinner's like, how? I thought smallpox didn't exist anymore. Mulder shows him a small bottle. He says it contains bee stingers and venom sacs that they pulled from the man's face, arms, and neck. And Skinner's like, you're saying this man was stung by bees carrying smallpox? Mulder says the man was an entomologist. Mulder consulted with him months ago about a similar fatality. Skinner is kind of surprised that he's seen this before. Like, obviously, he knew he talked to the guy, but not about this. And Mulder says he didn't have any hard evidence until now. He thinks that's what someone went to great lengths to try and prevent. Mulder believes someone is trying to engineer a method of delivery for this deadly disease. Whoa. I was say because Mulder did see that dead cable guy. Yes. Yeah. I remember he was on the pole and then he had fallen mm-hmm. off. And... When he was traveling with uh, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. What's Jeremiah's last name? I can't remember his last name. I, yeah. Smith? It might be Smith because you'd probably pick something generic like that, right? Mm-hmm. Even though Jeremiah is not super generic, but yeah. It might be Smith. I forget. Yeah. But the alien guy. Yeah. Skinner asks if they can be stopped. And Mulder's like, how? They don't even know who these people are. At least not until they identify the shooter. Skinner asks how close he is to doing that. And Mulder says, hopefully very. He's got a photo tech pulling an all-nighter on that surveillance video so he can hopefully show him something. Mulder's actually going to head over there right now. And Skinner tells Mulder to let him know what he finds. So back at the routing center, Skinner finds Misty in the break room and shows her his badge. And he tells her he has questions about her co-worker's death. And she doesn't really want to talk to him and says she already told police everything she knows. And he's like, everything? And then she hesitates. And she's like, I don't want to lose my job. And he tells her she won't. And he's asking her to cooperate in a criminal investigation. And she's like, what do you mean? And he says there's a chance that Jane's death wasn't an accident. Misty is like, she was my best friend. We made it so our vacations overlapped and we were going to go to Palm Beach. And then she leans in and tells Skinner that men came there and told her that if she talked to anyone, she'd lose her job. And they wanted the package. And Skinner's like, what package? And she explains that damaged packages get routed through them for inspection before they're sent back out. And Skinner asks where the damaged packages are kept. And she says in a storage room down the hall, right next to the restroom. Skinner asks where the package that they wanted was being sent. She doesn't know, but he asks if she can find out, and she says she can look up the tracking number. He's like, if you could do that, it would be a great help, especially for Jane. So, mm-hmm. yep. 
And Misty got a Bunky Bar that looks suspicious of like a Kit Kat from the vending machine. Also in the vending machine were Choco Droppings, which we last saw in War of the Coprophages. At least I think last saw. They may have shown up somewhere else and I didn't notice them, but we did definitely see them in War of the Coprophages. Yeah, I don't think they've shown so. up anywhere else so far. Yeah. Then we're at the FBI Special Photography Unit. The photo tech is showing Mulder the footage he cleaned up while he eats sunflower seeds, because that's what Mulder does. And the image is still grainy, but it's clearly Skinner. And it was pretty clearly Skinner before, but I don't know if that's because I already knew it was him. So Mulder tells him he needs to print out a hard copy. And then we're back at 46th Street in New York City, which everyone knows is our favorite conspirators hangout, I guess. Yeah. And that's where they hang out. The cigarette smoking man shows Godfather conspirator the last remaining bee from the dead doctor's house, and he tells them that the body has been sanitized. Godfather conspirator asks how this happened, but cigarette smoking man says it's been taken care of. The details are unimportant. Godfather conspirator says details are everything, and better than cigarette smoking man's vague reassurances. But the cigarette smoking man assures him that any breaches have been handled, and... Godfather conspirators like by whom and cigarette smoking man says a man with no choice but to succeed so both godfather conspirator and a man called third elder in the credits say that they're worried and they can't risk exposure godfather conspirator asks if they should assume the trial run is proceeding as planned and cigarette smoking man says it's already begun <gasps> that sounds ominous and not good and then we're at JFK Elementary School, which is kind of funny because we know the cigarette smoking man killed John F. Kennedy. So <laughs> it's in Payson, South Carolina. And we see some kids play on their playground and they're being kids and they're arguing over like the swings and shit and all kinds of stuff. And then bees are buzzing around. And then one kid is on the monkey bars and he gets stung by a bee. And so they call to the teacher who's already attending to a bee sting on another kid. And then the other kids start crying out because more bees are starting to appear and they're starting to swarm. And the kids are like, ah, and they're running inside. And then one kid like trips and falls and like loses his glasses. And so the teacher runs to go help him and he managed to get inside. But she is swarmed and they just watch her from the window as she's stung to death mm -hmm. in this commercial. That's fun. Yeah, pretty traumatic day at school there. Yeah. So then we're at Payson Community Hospital. And one of the stung boys is lying in a hospital bed and his mother sobs and kisses him before they pull the sheet over his blistered face, which means he's dead. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't do that on live people. They don't put the sheet over your face. So mm -hmm. like, oh, this light is bothering him. No, he's dead. Anyway, Skinner walks in and shows his badge to the doctor. He tells the doctor he's been treating them for bee stings, but he's misdiagnosed them. The doctor is really not having any of this. He thinks he, like, he's a doctor, so he's all like, oh, I'm God. And then yeah. he really listen to Skinner. Yeah, no, the doctor has his diagnosis. He doesn't care what you have to say or facts. Yeah, but Skinner tells him that he needs to be treating them for smallpox. Uh, doctor says, are you joking? And Skinner says that any child in this town who hasn't already been infected needs to be vaccinated immediately. And the doctor's like, we don't do that anymore because smallpox doesn't exist. And Skinner's like, run the test if you don't believe me. But you need to do something. And the doctor's like, I don't need to do shit. Smallpox has an eight-day incubation period. These kids were just stung mere hours ago. How do you explain that? And Skinner's like, I can't. And then military personnel come into the hospital room. So... That kind of explains that right there. Ba-boom. It kind of leads some credence to Skinner's theory, or at least that something mm -hmm. sinister is going on. 
So Cobra Rubius comes down the hall and calls Skinner's name. She tells him who she is and that his call inspired her to make some inquiries about seven packages that were sent from Canada to a P.O. box in Payson, South Carolina. She came here to find out what was in those packages. I think we know it was bees. (laughs) Skinner looks around the busy hospital and tells her she's a bit late to do anything about it. She says, so are you, apparently. She asks what he knows. Her office has to answer to the Secretary General of the UN. She needs to know what's going on. Skinner says he thinks it's some kind of experiment using bees as carriers. She looks around at all the sick kids, then asks if he told Mulder this. Skinner says he can't. She asks why. And then she tells him if he knows who's behind it, he has to come forward. No one else can. <gasps> oh, my God. That doctor had so much chest hair just spilling out of his scrubs. It was pretty impressive. That was a mm-hmm. lot of chest hair. Was, yeah. And Covarubius, sadly, is suffering from a severe case of 1990 shoulder pad syndrome. She is. So yeah. it was a big shoulder pad. And, yes, I'm bored. I'm picking out weird <laughs> details. So, yeah. But, yeah, you do what you do. So then we're at Crystal City, Virginia. And... If you pay attention, much like with the conspirator place, you know that Crystal City, Virginia, is where Skinner lives. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's 11.02 p.m. And he's at his apartment, and he picks up his phone to make a call. But he finds that his drawer has been pried open again, and his gun has been returned. Hmm. And then Mulder is like, boom, right there. And he's got his gun drawn. He's like, drop the gun. Because Skinner reaches in the drawer to pick it up. He's like, oh, shit, my gun's back. And he tells him to move away from the desk. And Skinner's like, I was just trying to call you. Mulder yells at him and put the gun down. And then Mulder pulls back the hammer on his own gun. And so Skinner puts the gun down and is like, you don't understand. And Mulder says he does now. And he asks if the gun is the one that he used to shoot that detective. And Skinner's like, "Ah, I didn't kill him. And Mulder's like, you've been working with a cigarette smoking man all along. You were there when they killed my father and when Scully got abducted. And Skinner's like, he set me up. He stole my gun and then he put it back, which means the police are already on their way. And he implores Mulder to look at the marks on his drawer. And he's like, why would I force the lock on my own drawer? And Skinner admits that he's lied to Mulder and he won't make excuses for it. But there's a reason he did what he did. One, he thinks Mulder is in a unique position to understand. He advised Mulder against a certain course of action some time ago concerning Scully. But he didn't follow his own advice. Mulder demands that he give him the gun. So... Apparently he does, because then we're at the ballistics testing lab, mm-hmm. and Skinner and Mulder are there, and the tech is firing Skinner's gun with a machine. And the tech compares the bullets from Skinner's gun to the one recovered from Detective Thomas's body, and the striation patterns match. And Mulder's like, so this is definitely the murder weapon? And the tech says, if I was called to testify, I'd say without a doubt. And he's like, where did you find it? And Skinner's like, oh, shit. But Mulder's like, it was in a sewer grate around the corner from the crime scene. Mulder's like, sometimes you get lucky. And the tech is like, sometimes you don't. And he shows him the serial number of the gun has been completely filed off, making the gun virtually untraceable. And Skinner's like, oh. so yeah. <laughs> yeah, Skinner's a little bit relieved right now. Yeah. So like lots of definitive evidence, this type of ballistics testing has been given more weight than it usually deserves. Unfortunately, television film often reinforce these misconceptions. For example, the rifling marks that are used in this scene can help to prove the type of gun used, 
but they cannot show that it's the exact gun that was used. Had they used any six Sawyer P228, the exact marks probably would have been shown as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's more of a gun type thing than an actual gun thing. Mm -hmm. So. So the cigarette smoking man enters his apartment and goes to turn on the light. Skinner tells him to leave it off, and he stands, aiming a gun at him. Is this part of our deal? Cigarette smoking man asks. Skinner tells him they never had a deal. Scully is dying, and he hasn't done a damn thing about it. And then the cigarette smoking man chuckles. Skinner asks him what's funny. The cigarette smoking man says only yesterday he insisted he wouldn't be party to murder, and yet here he is. Skinner says the cigarette smoking man has no intention of saving Scully and never did. And the cigarette smoking man's like, are you sure? He tells him that he saved her once before when he had her return to Agent Mulder. He may save her life again, but Skinner will never know if he pulls the trigger. And then the phone rings. Cigarette smoking man says unless he's going to kill him, he'd like to answer his phone. Skinner fires three shots. The phone keeps ringing and we see Skinner leave. And then after he leaves, we see that the cigarette smoking man still alive is standing there looking shaken because Skinner shot around him. He did not shoot him. He answers the phone and he says to the other person on the line, he was just here. He threatened to kill me. And then he tells them that he's sure Mulder will be contacting them. We see that it's Rubius on the other end of the line, which is a twist that I did not see coming. Although once she was upset about hearing about the bees i had some suspicions she says that she'll tell him what cigarette smoking man wants her to tell him and he says tell him what he wants to hear and that's the end <gasps> so in conclusion bees also this episode is in loving memory of Vito j Pelegi, who is mitch Pelegi's father so hmm. mitch Pelegi's father passed and so they dedicated this episode to him Aww. Also, there is a man in the background when Cova Rubius is talking to the cigarette smoking man. He's completely blurred out. And she does turn slightly to look at the man before she says she'll tell Mulder what the cigarette smoking man wants her to tell him. And I'm pretty sure that man is actually the first elder, the godfather conspirator. He appears to be holding a phone to his ear. And so I assume he's probably like likely listening to the conversation oh. the cigarette smoking man and Kovarubius are having, like as verification. So she can't say like he said something and he can be like, no, no, he said something else. So I'm pretty sure that's him. It looks like the silhouette. I mean, I say silhouette, but it's all blurry, right? So it's right. Like yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's him. Okay. Um, because she does kind of like turn and kind of side eye whoever that person who is blurred out is. So I thought maybe they were going to like, then like, you know, switch the focus and show us, but they don't, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be him probably. So, cause he seems to be in charge now for some reason. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he, I don't think he trusts the cigarette smoking man. So I think maybe he's taking some matters into no. his own hands. Well, I don't think any of them do. Honestly, no, they don't so, trust yeah. each other at all. This is why conspiracies like this don't actually work because no one trusts each other. And you have too many people who know the answers. It's just you can't keep shit like this under wraps. It doesn't work in yeah. reality. It just seemed like the well-manicured man used to maybe be in charge. But oh, this guy's in charge. yeah. Yeah. And then this guy is called like the first elder. So I'm guessing. Yeah. So when Once he stopped like hardcore, like the godfathering, I think they were like, okay, yeah, you can stick around. We'll make you like in charge. That's fine. <laughs> so because his, yeah, his, his little vocal patterns have 
calm down a bit so it's not oh, so wow. dramatic so yeah but yeah i mean that yeah bees yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's uh, again like there are just so many questions i have about the purpose of this plan and like i guess the purpose like as far as i can remember and also from what we've seen this season and stuff it's like their goal is to create people who are immune and like are mm-hmm. special or whatever and then infect everyone else and everyone else dies or whatever. i don't know it doesn't seem like a great plan though but i don't and there's alien hybrids I mean, it's involved that, and... yeah it's kind of that general like globalist thing that like alex joan talks a lot about like how like their plan is to kill like 99 of the human population and I'm like if, if they wanted to do that they could like you don't need to be so complicated about it like yeah you know but yeah i don't know yeah i don't understand it i i'm at the point where it's like it's a myth arc episode i'm like oh shit god damn it yeah well and it's so. funny with this one because like they sent the bees through the mail to a p.o box like i don't it just seems like the least secure way to do that well i'm not even sure it was supposed to be like a secure thing i think that was their way of distributing it for their tests no i get they that be, but, but it's I, like I there's just, probably other ways to like put bees out into the population to test your yeah stuff i, I mean, don't know and how many times do you need to test it like honestly like you know right seriously. like we already yeah i don't it seems like the test is good we we know what it does and it, it works so yeah yeah and then again like it it kind of brings me back to that like whole i mean i watch a lot of zombie stuff but like one of the things in the last of us is like in the game there's these spores and if you go into an area with spores you have to put on your mask otherwise you breathe in the spores and obviously you get infected and you die except for ellie Mm -hmm. because she's a mute spoiler if you have not seen the last of us or played the game but like they took the spores out of the show and they made it so like there's like a mushroom network or whatever because like if you have spores you can't actually contain that and so the minute they're like there's another zombie thing called um the girl with all the gifts and like you know the whole thing of that is like once the spores get out the whole world is fucked because like you can't mm-hmm. the, if spores are in the basement they're not going to stay in the basement you know what i mean so like it's kind of like the bees are kind of like that like they let them out for this test but like once they're out like it's just like killer bees in real life they're going to travel you can't control where they go so it just seems like a really not smart test because once they're out they're out and you can't rein them back in so i don't know it's just one of those things where i feel like it's too much (laughs) and we should be seeing a lot more fallout in the world of the show from this because like and i know that later it does come up again but uh yeah, it's not brought up in regarding to the routing facility, like where Jane when Jane was killed in the opening. But I know as far as like the doctor's house, like the cigarette smoking man is like all the bees have been like collected and like, you know, destroyed or whatever. But like I'm assuming maybe the same thing happened at the routing center. But then like what about at the school? Like that's open air shit. Yeah. Like, those bees just are just flying out. around. Yeah. And so... again, like you put them in a box and you mail them. Like I've I've talked about the crickets and getting crickets in the mail before on this podcast. And like, yeah, while well, well, they're in the box, it's fine. But the minute you open that box, they're fucking everywhere. Like that is a disaster. And like the bees are kind of the same. Like the once they're out, they're fucking out. And maybe if they're in a contained space, but they let them out in a fucking school playground. Like they didn't let them out in yeah. some like 
museum room where kids are i don't know the whole thing is just it seems like a really bad plan and the well, more and you then think is there gonna it? be like some cross like you know like are they gonna then like mate with other bees mm-hmm. and there's gonna be like a spread or like another like mutation there's you know, yeah know. it just seems like yeah, yeah. and then it's the so mutation weird. may not work with your vaccine and i don't know just it seems like it's not a well thought out plan yeah yeah because i mean because the the vaccine is like the fail safe to them just like that's your answer to like once they're out they're out well okay but yeah we've already you know immunize the people we care about so it's fine but yeah again if they if they mate with regular bees then is there going to be like a mutation of that then it might not work with the vaccine right so, yeah exactly I mean, we've all lived with covid mutating so if we know how that shit goes like it's not like it yeah. stays in one so i don't know the whole thing just i know when i was a kid it just seemed like oh they're sinister and evil and they want to kill everyone with smallpox and that was enough for me i didn't care but as an adult now rewatching it, I'm just like, I have so many questions about this plan. Like, it just seems like really bad on well, many and then levels. Even like, then you get to the point of like, what the hell does that have to do with aliens? Like, Well, because the alien hybrids are immune and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but. I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, it's, and I know that that was part of how they developed the vaccine, but again, like. I, and then there's clones involved in alien assassin. It just gets really convoluted really quickly. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, things got a little out of control, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's probably going to get worse. But, yeah, and it's yeah. funny because when the when we first started watching, I really liked a lot of the MythArc episodes. And I think as we go along, that is going to be less true. <laughs> and I'm going to be more into the Monster of the Week stuff. Well, because it was just aliens and then right. possibly like the shadowy group working with the aliens. And now it's just like, now we've got bees and there's smallpox. And it's like, what? It just keeps getting more and more convoluted. And now there's different types of aliens, even though they were trying to stream line the aliens and like we got the black oil and yeah, like I, well, don't... I think maybe i don't i don't know if we're just supposed to forget about that stuff and there is only supposed to be one kind of alien and maybe but yeah i don't know remember that it's just it's but... very convoluted and like i still have a lot of questions i'm still confused about the left arm thing that is going to bother me forever because i do not understand <laughs> why removing your arm with the scar would make you ineligible for tests but that's okay we're i think someone just again. thought that was an I, I don't even know why you would think that would be an interesting idea because now you have an actor who I'm pretty damn sure is going to show back up who is going to not have an arm or going to have a prosthetic arm for some reason. And it's not going to be like a Bucky arm where it's going to be like, okay, yeah, it's just, it works like a regular arm. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. Hopefully he won't walk around like with one sleeve missing like everyone else who gets like robotic shit like does like you know like if you get like a robotic arm you gotta like have a shirt with no sleeve oh yeah because you gotta show it off or pants with no sleeve because you gotta show off your cybernetics although to be fair on Um, bucky it's kind of hot but yeah yeah but it's just kind of ridiculous too yeah so yeah yeah so yeah i think this episode i told you that i really liked pretty much all the episodes for the rest of the season and that is true like this episode the reason i like it and the thing i like about it is just that it's because very... there's no Scully. Well, no, I like Scully. Um, uh, we didn't mention that at all that she doesn't appear. <laughs> she but, does I mean, not appear. Of... What's funny no. is I don't really think about it because she's mentioned, so we know <laughs> she hasn't fallen off the face of the earth. And I just like Skinner, and it's a very Skinner heavy episode. And he's just Mitch Plague. He's a great actor. I love his face. I love the way you can just see things play out on his face. He's sexy, and you get a really good idea. Well, he is. He's not an unattractive man, but like. 
it's just I really like the way he portrays Skinner and I think he does a really good job in this episode. You can just see his like struggle and the way that he's like his frustration with how everything's going. So I like him a lot. So I'm giving this episode a I'm torn between six and seven, but my rating is solely based on Skinner. It's not really based on anything else. I think I'm going to give it a seven for Mitch Pelegi and for Skinner. And obviously the cigarette smoking man is always great. I fucking love him. He's evil and awful and he's the best. But otherwise, like the actual plot and stuff of this episode is just like, what the fuck? Like, obviously it's horrifying because like going into your work bathroom and getting sung to death is pretty awful. But, you know, it's it's not a great plot. But Skinner. Woo. Okay. Well, I cannot base a rating solely on Skinner's underwear scene. So <laughs> I mean, you could if I you could, wanted. But... It would be rated higher, but I'm not <laughs> going to. So I'm going to give this what I gave Heron Volk, which was a four. Okay, that's fair. So, and I actually thought I rated Heron Volk lower than that, but I'm looking at him <laughs> like, oh, no, I gave it a four. Okay. So, yeah. Being generous to start out uh, the season. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm just like, you get to the... Um, well, I mean, I guess I gave Tempest, Fugit, and Max, like, I wanted to give them both nines, but I couldn't. But usually I, like, the, yeah, I don't usually give the Mythark stuff high ratings because they're mm-hmm. usually just, ugh, yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not getting much better, unfortunately. I mean, I don't I haven't seen really the rest of them. I haven't even seen the season finale of this season yet, but, like. Yeah, I don't I don't think that they continue to get better because my memory of the show is not really liking the myth arc. It was liking the monster of the week stuff. And I think that will probably hold true pretty much from now on. <laughs> but we'll see. I may be surprised. You never know. Yeah. I mean, my highest rated myth arc is Musings of the Cigarette Smoking Man, which I gave a nine. But like, it's almost like, is that really myth arc? I mean, yes, it's Cigarette Smoking Man. He's doing all the conspiracy shit. But, like, it's not really, like, myth arc in related to, like, this whole, like, alien mm-hmm. conspiracy stuff. Like, that part doesn't come up. Well, I guess we do have Deep Throat and they talk about right. alien stuff a and little bit. Yeah, episode. there's the alien. And then, like, it's the yeah. origins of that. But it's not, like, the current yeah. conspiracy as it stands exactly. now in the 90s when the government is trying to do all this weird shit. And you're like, that would not ever work. Yeah. Bees. And Samantha Bees Holder and for some reason. I know. I don't know why her, but apparently... And then whoever the dude is supposed to be, like, we don't know who the guy is supposed to be. Like, who's that a clone of? Yeah. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just some dude. Don't know. Some guy. I don't know. It'd be interesting if it turned out it was a clone of the cigarette smoking man. It would. But that would actually. But I don't be think it's twist. supposed to be. I don't think it is either. Cause, yeah, because he seems very Aryan, um, nice and blonde and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah. Don't know. Anyway, yeah, okay. Hey, at least we remembered to rate it. That's cool. So, Yay! Yay! I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick. That's my name. My name is Nick. And is what's the rest <laughs> of it? I forgot. Um. And it's recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. There you go. Saving me like always. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions, also Nick. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. Neither of which are Nick, by the way. No, no, Nick is not involved in those. No, I mean, I mixed the music, but I didn't make the music, so yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to rewatch is where we talk about X-Files as well as our X-Files adjacent stuff, television, films. You know it, you love it. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. 
Or you can buy us a coffee or support us on Patreon and do one of those things too. Remember that. Buy a motherfucking coffee mug. Boom. <laughs> I need a lot of coffee to get through lots of stuff lately. So yes, please. <laughs> speaking of which, be sure to... We're speaking of that, but speaking of which, be sure to join us next time, and together we'll try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. Bees. The truth is what we make of it. So cover root. <laughs> oh, you're already doing it. Boom. Look at you. <laughs> like a professional. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs>